Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Started. So welcome, Jacqueline Kerr. We're so glad to have you at the Happy at Work podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here today. Awesome. So what we'd love for you to start with is just tell us about your career journey. Tell us how you got to this point and how you've really come to the point of focusing so much on, on burnout and becoming really a burnout expert. Thanks so much for that. I I definitely call myself a burnout survivor, and it was great to step into that position. So yeah, I um, worked in academia as a professor for a number of years in public health, and I helped um, communities, workplaces, schools, um, communities, and healthcare settings have um, healthier environments and, and healthier Um, students or workforces or whatever. And um, that was just such a passion for me. I think even since I'd been about 10 years old, I I definitely wanted to change the world for the better. And so finding a career in which I could do that. um, And yeah, I was very hardworking, obviously, and very successful. I'm in the top 1% of most cited scientists worldwide. I received, you know, over $50 million from the National Institutes of Health to do the research research that I did and very much loved that. But as a um, mom who was trying to also be the best mom at home, my son was being diagnosed on the autism spectrum. So I was struggling to provide the right support that he needed. And then in the university, I just had this feeling that I needed to keep on taking more leadership and being a leader across the university. I already was a leader of a large research, successful research group, but I just take, kept taking on more. more. And that was that was really the, the, you know, a big part of the problem. But also when you then move into these different types of leadership positions to who do you then become accountable to? And, and um, I think that was also part of the problem. I, I started to lose the autonomy that I had had. I definitely had different values alignments than, than the leadership that I ended up working with, um, much more struggles with colleagues. Um, and so altogether, it, it just sort of came to a head where I actually experienced um, suicide ideation at the beginning of 2018. I, I could not face going forward for another year. I mean, I was crying on the way to work. I was crying on the way home. Um, my back teeth were cracked. My cortisol levels were high. I wasn't sleeping. I was really in a state of fight or flight where just everything was such a uh, a major threat to my whole physiological system. Um, so I ended up taking a leave of absence and, and being able to get help, you know, realizing the biggest thing I needed was help. 
Um, but then when I went back to work, the stress hit me like a truck because I believe we're really, you know, I, I work in public health. I'm, I'm a stress management uh, um, expert in some ways, too, and, and manage my own stress. But we're in these pots like like frogs and the water's just getting hotter and hotter and we, and we don't realize. But then when my body got a chance to reset and I went back, oh, my goodness, I felt that stress for the first time really my whole life. And then I realized I experienced the cynicism um, and, um, you know, just that lack of efficiency. What was I even doing anymore? And I realized, it, you know, it just wasn't sustainable. So I left my job at the university and then experienced, you know, the um, difficulty of losing your identity. Um, I really had to face that ego of being proud. I was a professor. And then, of course, when you're not surrounded by colleagues and work problems, you really only have yourself to blame then. So my inner critic came out so loud. Um, but it wasn't really until I started to write about this process of what I've been through that I really started to realize it was burnout and started to discover the whole field of burnout research. And that's when I was able to say, okay, um, I can apply my understanding of public health from this, as I say, it, I mean, then COVID hit and it's just become such, we really are, COVID was like almost the perfect vector for a mental health epidemic. And so, um, yeah, we're now in this place where I really believe that these multi-level um, comprehensive public health solutions to this complex problem is where we need to go. And I'm happy to be able to um, help other moms with that because I don't want other moms to go through what I went through, but also um, to help organizations understand the complexity and have, I mean, I think that's the thing. We've never been through a pandemic. We've never been through a mental health epidemic. We've never been through a great resignation. Now we're heading into recession. It's like, okay, when we are in this space of not knowing what works anymore, at least I can provide the processes, the, the scientific, the behavior change, the cultural change processes that can help you work out what is going to work. Because otherwise, I think it feels like we're in this whack-a-mole, just sticking band-aids on things. And um, it's it's really challenging. And I have a lot of empathy for everyone trying to manage this these complex times. So Jacqueline, you, um, it's so interesting because I, I too went from academia back into the corporate world and it's, they're two very different places for sure, but you also similarly started a podcast. So why did you, why did you start your podcast? Uh, and what have you learned from the experience? What are, you know, some of the topics you discuss and what have you learned? Great question. <laughs> so, um, as I started to write about my story, I kind of thought that as a definitely as a, a educated white woman from academia, my story was just so privileged and and potentially too unique that I didn't feel that represented the spectrum of of one the causes of burnout and also people's experiences of burnout because that's really one piece of. Um, the burnout solutions that I provide. I provide six different profiles of burnout and they're not, because everyone thinks it's just overwork, but when you start to see it's devalued employees and marginalized employees and 
people pleasers and busy lost souls, that there's so much more to it. So I knew that from the start. So I didn't want my story to be the only story I told. Um, so I realized if I was going to start interviewing, um, you know, working mums for, for their stories, that really that was a podcast, you know, <laughs> that was the best way to go. And I had already interviewed older women um, for a podcast with a colleague. And really what that showed me was, you know, I was interviewing women who were up to 100 years old. And although so much had changed, so much had stayed the same for working mums. And that just, you know, um, was so frustrating to me. So that's kind of why I started the podcast. But as I started it too, and it's focused on overcoming working mum burnout on the solutions, I realized too, this is great. I don't, I don't have to provide all the solutions. I can draw on the strength of all these other experts out there, HR, DI experts, researchers in equity, um, coaches, personal coaches, because coaching has been such an important part of my journey, um, who have all these different solutions. So I've been learning so much along the way. Um, actually, this season, as I'm starting to record now for my 2023 season, I'm interviewing dads because I realized what important allies they are in this process. And to be honest, I think that dads who have experienced full-time caregiving are one of the, the key um groups that can really help solve us when they're in leadership positions because unfortunately men still can get to those positions more easily but if they come from having experience full-time caregiving I think they're going to be really able to change things um, and then next season I'm really hoping to interview CEOs and get case studies around successful change in this because we need those examples to share with people um, so that they can be inspired and know that change is possible because I think it just feels so overwhelming at the moment because it is so complex and certainly the feedback I've got to is people don't feel alone this is not an individual problem again once anything becomes an epidemic we we know this has got so many roots in um, social systems and workplace systems so um, people then don't feel alone they know it's not just them is I, I want to ask a follow-up because both Laura and myself, like you, were, have been full-time working moms for our, <laughs> I know, for the entire entirety of my children's lives. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about what you see as symptoms? I know we're going to talk in a few moments about interventions and other kinds of support, but what what does working mom burnout look like? What What have you discovered? Right. And I think it's partly that sort of feeling of being um, unable to perform in the way you want to in both roles. I mean, we're expected to be the ideal mum 24-7, the ideal worker 24-7, um, parent like you don't have a job, <laughs> do your job like you don't have kids. So all those expectations, I mean, that's the, the, the pressure that is absolutely um, on us. And so, as I say, it's that experience of sort of crying on the way to work and, and on the way home. But if we think about burnout too, um, Freudenberger and North have a 12 stages of burnout. And the first stage of burnout in that 12 stage process is having to 
prove yourself. So again, we do come with our personality traits, potentially um, perfectionistic, ambitious, high achieving, people pleasing, overgiving, and all these tendencies, very much tendencies that we can mitigate with, for example, emotional intelligence. But they are things that are going to make us feel like we need to reprove ourselves or prove ourselves. And then go through that process of working harder, um, dismissing your own needs, not paying attention to your own needs. And then it just sort of gets worse and worse as you go on. Um, so I think in particular, working moms face, you know, the maternal wall and the motherhood penalty. And these things where men, when they become fathers, are seen as more committed to their jobs and women, when they become mothers, are seen as less committed. So guess what? We're on the first step of burnout. We have to keep proving ourselves. Um, so some of the symptoms, though, that you can think about, because, again, spotting it earlier is so important, um, is um, when you're feeling frustrated at small things that you wouldn't normally be frustrated by, when you're feeling resentment, that's a, such a key rumination and then people can experience sort of the feeling of brain fog their brain's not working anymore or if you're particularly passionate about what you do you can feel very much tired but wired um and and unfortunately for burnout so many people don't realize they're going through it until literally a physical illness or complete exhaustion or a mental breakdown is the thing that stops them in their tracks um, so learning how to spot this earlier um, is something that I really um, try and support as well. And I have guides on my website about how to do that. This is so good, Jacqueline. I mean, I'm just sitting here going, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, I, I just appreciate how you're, you know, telling your own story and your vulnerability and authenticity in it. That really helps people see that they're not alone. And so it just... I personally was going thinking about all the times that I used to cry driving to work or like just just this idea of like gripping the steering wheel and saying, gosh, can I go anywhere but here? <laughs> like <laughs> anywhere. I just don't want to go there. Right. That feeling of dread, that feeling of like it's just going to be an exhausting day. Um, so I just I feel like I, I personally can relate so much to what you're saying. And I know a lot of other people can. And I think that's one of the things that's so sad about burnout for so long. I mean, it's been around forever. I I used to do burnout workshops way before covid. You know, like this topic has been around forever but the very nature of burnout is the even the way it's defined it's it's so isolating right you're so you feel so alone and you feel like you're the only one who hasn't figured it out you're the only one who's not making it work and i think these kinds of conversations and the work that you're doing help people see oh this is a this is a systems problem this is not uh, you know, a Laura alone problem, right? And I think that's just a really important part of it. And just that also how connected it can be with addiction, mental health problems, then it seems like it's about that, you know, that it's more about the addiction issue. I just remember being in HR for so long that that would be what would happen is people would be burning out. And then they'd start to have, you know, something else that was kind of a related topic. And then we'd like, oh, you have to let them go because they have an alcohol problem, right? Right. Um, Poor so coping I, behaviors. Yeah, because yes. that's, that's actually, a, um, I think, like stage eight or nine is unhealthy coping behaviors. But I think also what we have to recognize is our workplaces are telling us to do self-care. We're doing self-care. 
and we're still burning out. So on top of that is the shame that something is wrong with us. And as I say, it's so important. That messaging is, is so wrong. And again, it really also comes from the top in many ways in terms of how CEOs might be burning out. And let's accept that the absolute majority are white men. They're not experiencing being devalued, being marginalized. The other causes of burnout and the solutions to those types of burnout are not a vacation, are not self-care. It really is the conditions in the workplace that need to change. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's so convenient to make this an individual problem yeah. because then you're not having to take responsibility as an organization. Yeah. Um, and it's such a disservice. It really is. Just that whole, you you know, you can't yoga your way out of burnout, right? That that, that line is like, yeah, duh, of course. I mean, I'm not against yoga, <laughs> but you know, just it's not going to solve it, right? So I, I think you know that we really focus a lot on positive psychology and how positive psychology can help work. So super kind of curious about how do you think about positive psychology in the work that you do? And we always want to clarify, we're not talking about toxic positivity. We're talking about real positive psychology, right? That has things that are more about the ideas of gratitude and mindfulness and openness, those kinds of characteristics. So what are your thoughts about positive psychology related to burnout? Right. And actually the research too from public health shows that things like meditation and mindfulness, when also combined with organizational change, are really effective. So it, it's all about multi-level change in, in my mind. Yeah. Um, so if I, I I'll I'll sort of define positive psychology from the perspective of like corporate wellness as a whole, but and then specifically for burnout. Um So the way I see it is when we're thinking about prevention instead of treatment um, and we're talking about wellness instead of um, the lack of disease. So this is really what we um, in public health call health promotion. And that's what I really think is also similar to your um, positive psychology because then what we use is health psychology, because there is definitely differences when you're facing behaviors that are good for your health and and the different strategies for behaviors that are related to health. There is a different psychology because health is often not a motivator for people. Um, And there there can be so many um, different barriers to to health-related behaviors. But to me, the positive um, frame of that is that this is about health promotion. This is not about putting band-aids on. This is really about how do you create the the culture and conditions um, to to have wellness upstream, right, Um, before people get sick. And then I think in terms of positive psychology and specifically related to to burnout, again, it's, it's thinking of moving from burnout to thriving. And it's not necessarily just like burnout, the opposite of burnout is engagement because people can be extremely engaged and extremely passionate and still burn out. So so this is about thinking in in a thriving mindset. And I think some of the particular things that are important in this context, particularly when we think about the the stigma um, and the individual focus around burnout is to have psychological 
safety first. That's such an important condition for us to to first put in place before we try and solve for burnout. Um, And I also think we really have to address the tendencies that we have to burn out. And so developing emotional intelligence is such a key to mitigate those burnout tendencies. Um, And then other pieces that, of course, I really focus on are what are the healthy work habits that that we can do um, that that are leading? Because, again, I come from behavior change science, and it's there. What are the daily um, behaviors that we can do, not only as ourselves as individuals, but that we can very much role model out loud so that others feel safe and permitted to do them? And what are those behaviors that then are rewarded. So it's like, imagine if um, well-being was actually a key performance indicator and you were rewarded for how much you contributed to your team's well-being. You know, that that to me, that's a different way of, of thinking about merit because at the moment we just have our brains set to more work, longer hours, is better, even though we know it's not better for productivity, but we're also rewarding it still as though it is better. And um, so instead, you know, taking the time to to reward activities that are related to well-being and related to equity, that's to me is first you have to make psychological safety, then you have to operationalize the behaviors you want to see, and then you have to reward the behaviors you want to see. And to be honest, then there's also got to be a system that keeps track of what is it you're trying to change and how do you support people with that change process? Um, so that's really how how I see it. Um, and I think, um, you know, Jacqueline, what you talk about with this, both an individual focus and then an organizational systems, you know, approach. And I'm curious from the more organizational approach, because as you talked about where we just went through the great resignation or the great reshuffling, whatever you want to call it. Now we're possibly, although indicators are quite mixed on this, possibly heading into a recession. And for companies, they are, you know, faced with employees, especially certain industries like healthcare, faced with employees who are incredibly burnt out um, coming off of the pandemic. Yet, you know, and I love what you talk about as far as um, rewarding and incentivizing well-being in the workplace. But how how do companies kind of consider, you know, the the idea that they have to be profitable, <laughs> that they're about to ha- head into a recession, that they don't want to have to lay people off, so they have to make sure that revenues are coming in, but they don't want people to get burnt out. I mean, is you talk about the efficiency of productivity. Um, what are some tips you can give to say companies or or even managers who have a team that they want to stay productive, but they don't want them to burn out, but there's a lot of pressure being placed on them about the re- incoming recession and revenues and all of that. Right. And, and so I think there's a, a couple of things is again, as we go into those types of um, periods, there is more stress. So it, in some ways it is that challenges um, people need support with their mental health and their stress more than ever. And you have less of a budget to, to be able to do it. So I think for me, the, there's a there's a couple of things, which is, again, 
as I mentioned, all these these band aids, and 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 I won't point necessarily to any specific one, but we are wasting money, time, and effort on solutions that don't work. And I don't necessarily blame people for doing that because we haven't been through this before. So we don't actually know what the solutions are that are going to work. But I think that's what's so important is having um, a framework for actually evaluating that and having really clear um, behavioral models for how we think the solutions we're providing are actually going to impact these outcomes. And that's a a huge part of really um, the understanding that I try to bring, which is how do behaviors change? How do you actually um, provide the the support and the environment that that creates change? and know the change is happening because again we can we can waste so much time actually on um on things that that don't create any change and and so there i see like a leaky pipe there that that can definitely be be improved um but i think to while it seems overwhelming i think i also just focus on four clear tenets for what the organization can do if the organization can focus on um, flexibility, focus, fairness, and purpose, and use that as a guide to all these um, uh, services and, and, and ways of addressing this. It, it, it's addressing the, the root causes and, and, and of multiple behaviors that all interact. Because again, these that, you know, the reasons for um, problems with retention um it, it it's lack of belonging but it's also lack of purpose it, it's lack of fairness so um it's lack of being able to focus because you're being interrupted by notifications <laughs> etc and and meetings so um I, I see it also very much that organizations can really um embrace policies that that support and as i say reward <clears throat> these behaviors um and then there's less money being spent on on um, trying to um, actually sort of solve the behaviors because you've addressed the root causes, and and that's the biggest thing. We're we're not addressing the root causes, and and again, I think part of this comes from this misunderstanding that um, you know burnout is overwork and a vacation is the solution. Um, so I, I think that's really. Um, you know, the, the, the important part of it. I love that so much. And it's, it's so much about the meaning and the substance, not the superficial stuff and the amount of money that corporations spend on the superficial stuff, right? The branded water bottles, the steps challenges, you know, come on and not wanting to do the hard work. Yeah. Um, and, and even let's admit to even um, without naming names, even some of the very best meditation apps, by three months, 70% of people are not using them. Okay. So let's just be really clear how difficult habits are to form. And, and that, um, again, let's keep track of actually are people using these things consistently to have an impact on them. Um, and, and recently somebody sort of said to me, oh yeah, I got sent this new software by my company. I can't even be bothered to download it. Right. Because they know it's not the solution 
to to the problem that they're facing. Right, especially when the culture isn't aligned with supporting people in doing that, right? It's like you said, it's just sort of a fake band-aid kind of thing. But if the organizational support to actually focus on those things is there, that's a whole different story, right? Right. So, and I, again, it comes yeah. back to stop trying to fix me. Yeah. <laughs> fix the, the company. Yeah. The problem. culture. Yeah. The culture. 100%. So we started this conversation, you sharing your story, which I, I really appreciate and loved. Um, maybe we can have you tell us where are you now in this journey? Like all the things that you talk to people about, how have you maybe integrated some of those or kind of where are you with, with your own burnout? Yeah, and I, I think really um, a lot of people ask me about, will will I ever get over this? Will ever I get through this? And and will I be the same person on the other side? Um, and, and it breaks my heart when people ask that question because I feel their pain of, of the worry of going through it yeah. and, and how much it's affecting people's lives. Um, so, I, you know, I think burnout recovery is, is a long process. And I think I will always be managing my burnout because I have these tendencies um, to want to um, care and, and provide for other people. And again, that's where when it comes back to companies, it's like, let's not use these tendencies um, against these individuals. Like, can we have care, caring and collaborative cultures that actually value somebody who, who um, is perhaps an overgiver? And then we provide these institutional guardrails to help them. So again, you know, I, you know, I, I understand these tendencies are um, what can lead to burnout, but actually they also have upsides too. So I think that's important for companies to, to leverage. So me personally, I think I'm always managing my burnout. Um, and that's really, um, you know, part of it that, that you, you, have to just be able to spot the symptoms sooner. And, and you described that feeling of holding onto your steering wheel. So I, I can I, I definitely learned a lot, especially from coaching, um, about how to recognize stress in my body. And it's funny, actually, I don't necessarily feel it um, throughout the day, but I get in the car and I drive to pick up the kids from school and I feel it in my chest, this, this pressure. So I, I'm much better at knowing. And it's not that I find the drive itself stressful. It's just a condition that makes me more aware of, of the stress in my body. Um, so I think that's so important. I think there's so much we can do in terms of also our parenting styles, because one part of this that I, I really didn't get to talk about yet was, you know, I really started to dislike myself when I became a parent because I was parenting in a very authoritarian way that had been passed on to me, but it didn't sit well with me. And I kind of just didn't know what that was and why it was happening. But once I started to unpack that, and now, um, you know, I, I have um, what is called a positive discipline style of parenting that actually is in a, a school that my kids go to a charter school that has that curriculum. Um, so again, it's really great when the school is also supporting us in, in our parenting journey. Um, so yeah, I think it's always um, a, a work in progress. And and even though I was so proud of who I was, this very successful research professor, you know, helping students, helping the world, um, I'm not going to go back to being that person because that person couldn't ask for what she needed and couldn't express her emotions. Um, and so now it 
it, it's much better because even for example, I, I definitely feel drained sometimes when I'm helping my kids with their um, emotional struggles. But now I actually have the courage to admit to my husband, I find this hard. It drains me. And even though he says, well, you're still the best person to do it. He actually every time comes to me and says, thank you for helping the kids with that because I know how much it drains you. So that's that's just di- such a difference because really when I sort of talk about that in my TEDx talk, that was one of the first things. I couldn't thank my husband for anything. Um, and, you know, now we're at this place where we are. We're so grateful to each other and able to thank each other for everything because we're actually communicating um, how we're feeling and, and how hard it is to be a parent. So now we're doing it much more together, I believe. Well, Jacqueline, I'm just, I think that's the perfect note to end on. (laughs) That was so beautiful the way you stated that. And I can't tell you how much I've resonated with so much of what you talked about as a mom and as a um, full-time working mom and, um, and as someone who actually works within a very large corporate environment and I'm thinking about my own team and, and how I manage people and, you know, thinking, am I, am I allowing them the space to be flexible, focus, you know, do we have fairness and is there purpose in the work that we're asking them to do every day? So this has been an amazing time that we've had with you. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. That was wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.